Well, thank you very much. Uh, don't believe anything Andrew just said, <laughs> except for the fact that I started at Radiant almost three years ago. And uh, it is a great church, and we have been uh, blessed to be partners with, with uh, branches and many other churches across the city. And uh, it's actually something we're going to be talking a little bit about today. I did start just before COVID hit, so that was uh, good timing. And, uh, but I'll be honest, one of the blessings of that, one of the silver linings, if you will, is that I was able to connect with a group of 12 or 15 pastors or so that began to meet uh, via Zoom and pray with each other uh, throughout the pandemic. Uh, because, uh, well, it was, it was new to us. We didn't often really know what was going to go on, how long this was going to go on, what to do, what to do. Should we be open, closed? You know, and it just became this opportunity to, to really connect and join together as one church. And it's something that we've been carrying on now for the better part of two years. And, and of course, we see this expressed in uh, projects like Serve City, which I know Branches is, is instrumental in starting, and uh, also Love HB and uh, the Easter Sunrise Service. And so we really do have this very special thing going on within the city of Huntington Beach, where, well, amongst so many churches, where we, we really view ourselves as being one church with many different expressions. And so it is an honor to be here today as one of those expressions and joining in. I know we have some people from my community here. We also have people from Activate uh, with, with Jeremy Solentano. And so uh, it's just great to see how we can all come together uh, as communities of faith. And, and, and for Andrew to open up the pulpits and bring in people like Paul Harmon and Pat, uh, Pat Contrell, I know uh, I don't probably belong on the same st stage as those two gentlemen, um, but it's, it is an honor to be with you uh, today. And I do want to talk a little bit about uh, partnerships in ministry uh, today as we wrap up this series in 2 Timothy. So before we dive into God's Word, let's go ahead and pray. Gracious God, we thank you for gathering us uh, as one church today in this place to, to worship you and to uh, hear this message from you, to receive your word and your promise to us. Uh, we pray for the strength of our churches, for the unity of our churches to come together and be a light in, in a dark place, to be a salt uh, in our community. And we pray for Andrew and for his family and for just a, a sweet time as they wrap up uh, their, their time together. And as Andrew wraps up his sabbatical, we pray that you will bring him back to us uh, rested and refreshed and ready to go for this next season of ministry. And so as we open up your word, Lord, would you please uh, teach us through uh, through your word and through your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for those uh, who attend branches, you know that you've been studying the book of 2 Timothy, and we're going to be wrapping up that series today on sound doctrine. And if you're a guest or a visitor today, uh, that you'll still get something out of this, I hope. It's, it, can, it can serve as a standalone. But uh, wh whether you're new or, or a member of, of branches, go ahead and open up to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be uh, starting at verse 9 as we conclude this important book. And Paul writes, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. 
At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesephorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Probably not the most familiar passage uh, from 2 Timothy. I don't know. Uh, when Andrew asked me uh, to preach, uh, I think it's because uh, I was the only other pastor who showed up at the uh, prayer meeting at the city on uh, the third Wednesday, you know, that, that little 7 a.m. prayer meeting. I went a couple months ago, and uh, so he just, he needed, a, he needed a filler, and that's why he asked me. And uh, I said immediately, I said, yes. And he's like, we're doing 2 Timothy. I said, rad, that's great. I love, that's a great letter. There's so much great material in 2 Timothy. Sign me up. And then he gave me this text. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is like, I don't, is really, this is the text? And I'm like, okay, no, no problem. He's probably got something outlined. Like he's probably got like, hey, here's the direction. This is how it ties in to what we've been talking about the last couple of months. No, he just left. <laughs> he's like, you got questions, talk to Brian. He'll answer them for you. And so, you know, I started, I read this pattern like a month and a half ago. I'm reading it. I'm like, I don't, I don't know how this is going to work. So I decided what I, probably the best thing to do is to try to follow the series along and figure out how I might be able to wrap things up and tie things in a bow and all of that. That didn't work either. But I, I did, I, I was paying attention at least for the last few weeks. And I know a couple weeks ago, Brock talked about uh, in, in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. You've heard that one before? All right, tell me how this scripture does that, right? It's like you hear this, like all scripture, and like all means all, and I'm like, this is scripture, so is this useful? Like, I'm reading these other exhortations, like, you know, like with Brock talked about continuing what you learned, right? Don't be misled, don't be distracted, don't stop short. Or as Paul talked about, you know, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage, keep your head. All of these great, you know, all that fatherly wisdom that Paul is trying to, to give to Timothy uh, before he knows he's, he's going to die, before he knows that he's going to see the Lord. This is the stuff he wants to leave behind. We get that wise, fatherly, you know, words, that, that sage advice. And then today, what are the exhortations? Come visit me. Bring me my jacket. <laughs> Say hi to these people for me. It's like you go, Paul, you hear it, right? Paul goes from that wise old father to that old Jewish mother, right? Very quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's like, Timothy, you never call, you know? It's so cold here in the winter, you know? I mean, this... This is like, what are you supposed to do with this stuff? Like, there, is there a message here is the bottom line? And believe it or not, there is. I think we have to kind of look behind the text a little bit, and we have to hold on again to what, 
what Paul already wrote about Scripture, that it is useful for teaching. And so there's something here. We just have to maybe mine for it uh, a little bit more. And, and so in order to do that, we have to understand our context. Context is always key. We always have to understand what's going on, time and place, things like that. And, and, and for those maybe unfamiliar or just joining in on the story, Paul is, is likely in prison in Rome. He's either awaiting trial or already faced trial and is awaiting execution. He knows his time is short. And he writes to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, who is his spiritual son. Paul has started that church and has planted Timothy there as the pastor of that church. And, and Paul knows that his time is short. And so he gives Timothy this, this, these words of advice that we just covered about what, it, what it's going to look like for him once Paul is gone, especially those things that, that Paul wants to make sure Timothy gains, that, that he holds on to as Paul leaves and Timothy kind of takes the mantle uh, from there. It's very practical advice. And then today what we see is much more of the personal side of Paul and, and his relationships. When Paul says, do your best to come to, come to me quickly, he's, he's sharing with Timothy his heart for him. Timothy was an important person in Paul's life, and, you know, death often gives us that perspective. Many of you have probably faced this with a loved one, a parent, a grandparent, someone that you know, that as they, they knew their time on earth was coming to an end, and so, therefore, they're reflecting back on, on the important things. Not just, not the, usually it's not the accomplishments, it's not the, it's not the stuff that they did, it's the, it's the people that they loved, it's those relationships that mattered the most. And Timothy is one of those relationships. He's one of the, the, the people that is, that is closest to Paul and has stayed and stuck with Paul. See, we often think of Paul as a kind of a lone ranger in ministry, that we, we think of his missionary journeys. It's Paul that goes out. But every time Paul goes out, he goes with a partner. Paul is never alone in ministry. He has Barnabas with him. He has John Mark with him. He has Silas with him. He has uh, support teams. He has churches that, that help to sponsor him and, and send him out. There are people that receive him, households that, that take him in. Paul is never alone in ministry. He's always surrounded by other people, and, and some of those people are mentioned here, and it's some of the people that, that, again, are closest to Paul that he wants to see, that he wants to, to be surrounded with as he faces uh, his, his impending death. Ministry is never a lone ranger endeavor. It's never something we're designed to do alone. And again, that was, I think, something that was so great when I stepped into this role at Radiant uh, is that I came into a place where we didn't have a big staff. We didn't have a lot of people, but, you know, we had, there was a lot of other pastors that were there that we shared. We were able to share ideas. We shared resources. We shared ministry together. We see that this, again, was not a lone ranger event. But not only is ministry not designed to be done alone, life is not designed to be done alone, right? We see that very acutely during COVID, when we had isolation and quarantines and people stayed home from work, that, you know, it was, it was hard on a, so many people. We see, we see that the, the results of this in our young people today, especially struggling with anxiety and depression and loneliness. And, and I think, you know, this isn't a you know, a soapbox for, you know, being anti-social media, but social media doesn't help that. It's not true community. We're designed to be in true community together, face-to-face. -face. It's something very different than just a screen. And many families experience that where they didn't get to see each other for two or three years. And finally, hopefully, we're coming out of that to some degree, but 
This is how we are created. We're created to be in ministry or to be, to be in, in close contact with one another, to be in community with one another. It's part of what God has instilled in us. It's part of our inherent design. And that's one of the things that we can learn from this passage, that we are created for community with one another. In Genesis 2.18, just after he creates Adam, God says it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. He needs a partner. And that word helper there means that, that equal partner, that person that's going to complement them. It's sort of the yin and the yang. It's not one over the other. It is the partnership that, that is designed in our human relationships for a husband and wife, but also in friendships, as parents, a child, and, and siblings. All of these human relationships are designed so that we are complements of one another, that we are partners with one another. This is how it's, 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 it's just a part of, of, of who we are. It's, 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 it's still a part of our original creation, our original design. So we have a desire to be with other, pers- with other people. But there's also another truth to that. There's a shadow side to that. And this is, I think, a truth for all people. All people are problems. Yeah, somebody really agreed to that quickly. Because <laughs> it's true. I mean, we all think it to some degree, Right? Wouldn't the world be a better place if everybody was just like you? I'm just willing to admit it, okay? I don't know about the rest of you. You all do it when you drive. It's like, what's wrong with this guy? Why doesn't he do this or that? I mean, this is just part of, of what it means to, you know, to, to live life, that relationships are hard. We're designed to be in community, but because of sin, that community is broken. And we see that, again, we see that in this passage too. People will let you down. That happened with Paul. The first person he mentions is Demas. And if we look back in Colossians, Demas was in good standing then. He was in fellowship with Luke and with Paul. And yet now, here at the end, Demas abandoned Paul. Paul was let down. The expectation, I'm imagining Demas was probably a disciple of Paul, somebody that he had high expectations for. But now Demas, because he loved the world, left Paul. That hurts him. Even the other people he mentions, people like Timothy and, and Titus, people that have been assigned to churches, that, that, that have been sent out for ministry, that could be painful as well. Relations, that happens in relationships. The people you love the most, when you raise kids, you, what do you raise them to do? Leave. I had a friend of mine from seminary visiting last weekend, dropping her daughter off at Biola. She, they live in Iowa. And, and it, was a, it was a big, you know, it's her only child, and they're concerned about sending their daughter here to crazy Southern California um, and driving the freeways and even just living here. And, you know, they were, they were struggling with that. And, and I said, yeah, that's kind of the weird thing about parenting is that you, you raise them up in order to send them out. And that's what Paul does in ministry. He raises them up to send them out. But it's hard. It's hurtful because now you're not with them. And on top of that, he has this guy named Alexander that did him evil, he said, that has done him some great harm. And we don't know a lot about what that harm is, but, you know, he's the same guy probably mentioned in 1 Timothy, where Paul says, I just handed him over to Satan so that he learns not to blaspheme. Whatever it is, Paul suffered a lot of relational persecution. We covered, Brock covered some of those uh, those physical persecutions that Paul had. Remember in Corinthians, Paul kind of went through all that, the list of stuff. He's like, yeah, I've been beaten a bunch of times and had rocks thrown at me and I was whipped and I was shipwrecked and I was in danger from this and danger from that and on and on and on. 
He goes through all of these dangers and harms and physical difficulties in his life. And then when he finishes up, he says, on top of all of that, I have the burden of being a pastor. And I laugh at that because I know exactly what that means. It means like, yeah, physical pain is hard, but relational pain can be even harder because people can be, you know, can let you down. They can hurt you beyond those things. Physical, oftentimes those physical things that Paul mentions in Corinthians, he can heal from. But being abandoned, being having your best friends turn on you, being uh, left to kind of stand on your own, having other people actively seek <laughs> your, your demise, that's hard to deal with. Relationships are hard, and that relational pain can be hard. And it's all due, again, to that brokenness that has come into the world because of sin. Our community is broken because of sin. In Genesis 3, right after the, uh, Adam and Eve eat of the fruit, God comes looking for them. And we see here in Genesis 3, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why did they hide? Because they knew that they had sinned. They knew they had broken that covenant that they had with God before they were together. They hid now because of sin. They were hiding from one another, and they were hiding from God. They had this perfect community with God, and that was broken. They had this perfect community with one another, and that was broken. And if we know the story, when God finally comes and, and finds them and calls out to them, and he says, you know, and they, they ask, what are you doing? Why are you hiding? He says, well, we were naked, so we were ashamed. We hid. He says, who told you? He says, you ate of that, the, the, the fruit. And when, when God confronted Adam, what did Adam do? She did it. Not only did he blame the woman, by the way, go back and read the text. He blames God. He says, this woman that you gave me. In one sentence, like, yeah, as Mike like says, you know, drive the bus over him and then back it up. It's like, that's, he's, that's brokenness. That's, that's the relational brokenness that we have in our world today. Our, we are created for one thing, but because of sin, we don't experience it the way we're supposed to. This is what Paul has experienced. Again, when family members hurt us or when a friend turns her back on us, this is just the result of a broken world. Paul went through the same thing, and he expresses that in this passage. But we also know there's good news because forgiveness and reconciliation are possible. Forgiveness and reconciliation are possible. And it's easy to miss in this passage if you don't know the story. One of the commands that, he, that, that Paul gives to Timothy is to bring Mark. Bring Mark with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Well, here's the backstory. Mark was on a missionary journey with Paul, and he left him. He abandoned him. He went back to Jerusalem. He couldn't cut it. <laughs> and later on, when Paul tells Barnabas, hey, Barnabas, let's go back and visit all these churches that we helped plant, Barnabas says, that's a great idea. Let's bring Mark with us. And Paul says, no way. We're not bringing that guy. He abandoned us, and he'll do it again. We, I don't trust him. And it caused such a division between Paul and Barnabas that they ended up splitting up and going their own way. Now, there's kind of an irony in this that ministry is multiplied by doing it, right, with the conflict, because that's just God, how, how God works things out. But the reality is that's the tension that was held between Paul and with Mark. 
But at this point in Paul's life, that tension is gone. Now he's not just calling Mark back as a friend, he's calling him back as a fellow servant of the gospel to say he's useful to me in my ministry. That's the idea, that he is a fellow worker, a fellow servant. There's a restoration that takes place between Paul and Mark, and we don't know when or how that all happened, but we know it happened. We know it's possible. And, the, you know, the, the reality is it's only possible because we have reconciliation with Christ first. It's only because of the cross that we are able to forgive and to reconcile with others. Colossians 3.13 says this, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Is that good news? No, it's terrible news. Sorry, it's a trick question. It's hard. I don't want to forgive the way God forgave me. How did God forgive me? Totally, unconditionally, long before I ever asked for it, long before I ever deserved it, right? Completely, he gave his own life for me. The Bible says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sometimes we think of forgiveness as like, okay, when the other person asks for forgiveness, then I'll forgive them. The Bible says no. Forgive them first. Forgive them while they're still jerks. That's the loose translation, right? Forgive them while they're still being obnoxious. They're still even in their sin. That's hard to do. I like to say, like, if if you read the Bible and it's like all like, yeah, I agree with all of this, you're probably reading it wrong. It should be hard and challenging for us. And I think this is one of it. It is for me, at least, that I read this and go, yeah, this is what we're supposed to do. We forgive in the same way that Christ forgave us. That's part of our challenge. And this is what we see Paul doing even here. And, and don't miss this, though. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Forgiveness is what you can do. It's, it's your peace offering, if you will. It's, it's you releasing uh, the sin of the other person, the debt of the other person towards you. Reconciliation is, only happens when that's a two-way street, when the other person repents, when the other person you know, makes a choice to receive your forgiveness or to receive and accept that, or vice versa. It takes two to tango in, in reconciliation, but forgiveness we all can do, and Paul does that. With example. We see an example here. He is forgiven even those who abandon him. He says, may it not be held against him. He has reconciled with Mark, but we have this issue with Alexander, and with Alexander, it's interesting because Paul says, you know, Alexander did me this great evil, but God will, re- will repay him for his deeds. God will repay him for his deeds. But is that forgiveness? Well, look, if, if God is repaying for his deeds, who's not repaying? Paul. Paul is not seeking retribution. Paul's not the one taking it into his own hands. He's simply turning Alexander over to God. He can forgive even though they may not be reconciled. Paul writes in Romans 12, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's your part. As far as it depends on you, and for those of you here with broken relationships and and hardships with, you know, other people, this is your part. You seek to live at peace with them, but it doesn't mean that they will reciprocate because we know, again, the truth still remains of our brokenness, our sinfulness, that people can be difficult, people can be unreliable, people can let you down, people can be untrustworthy. But what's the good news for today? God isn't. 
God's reliable. God's trustworthy. God's there for us. God is faithful. That's what we just sang about. He's been faithful for generations. Why would he stop now? And we said he won't. He won't. That's, that's the gospel. That's the good news for us. And because God is faithful to us, even when we're not faithful to him, he is always with us. That's another truth that we can find in this passage. God is always with you. Even when no one came to Paul's defense, even when he was by himself facing persecution, facing, facing execution, Paul writes that God was there. No one came to his defense. Everyone deserted him except for God. God stood at his side. The Lord stood at his side and gave him strength. And guess what? That's the same promise we receive from Jesus, isn't it? In Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go out and make disciples of all nations. How does he finish that? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am surely with you always, even to the end of the age. We are never alone. We are never abandoned. We are, even if it seems like it, even if others have left us, even if we, see, we feel unseen, unheard, forgotten, swept aside, God is there. He sees you. He's with you. He's got you, and he's got a plan and a purpose for you as well. And that's really the last thing I think that we learn in this passage, that God has a plan and purpose for our life, just as he did for Paul. Right after Paul says that God stood by his side, that God supported him and strengthened him, he says this was to proclaim so that he could continue to proclaim the good news to the Gentiles. Paul knew his calling in life. That was it. Proclaim the gospel, preach Jesus to the Gentiles. And the reality is we all have a calling in life. And sometimes we think of our calling very narrowly. Like we have this very particular thing that maybe God is calling us to do, and we, we often struggle to find that one thing. What's that one thing God put me on earth to do? I think sometimes we have a very particular calling. But we must start with our general calling, and our general calling is the same as Paul's. It's to proclaim Jesus wherever we go. When Paul stood before a governor, when he stood before uh, pro-councils, he was preaching Jesus. One of them even asked him, are you trying to convert me? Are you trying to make me a Christian? Paul's like, eh, maybe, like whatever. (laughs) I'm just telling you like it is. This is the truth. Wherever Paul went, he just proclaimed Jesus. Wherever we go, we proclaim Jesus, and we do that in, in in our words, and we do that in our deeds. And it's why I love what we're doing with Serve City and other projects like that. We get to proclaim Jesus as we are serving and loving our neighbor. See, our calling, our general calling, I think is, 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 is something that we all share together. And we get this from Ephesians 2, that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. If you don't know your specific calling, this is your general calling. And that calling is to do good works. This is why God created you, to do good works. Not for your salvation. You're not earning anything. You've already received it. Now, because you received it, you go out and you do those things that that Jesus told us to do, to love God, to love our neighbor, to make disciples. It's really that simple. But it's also extremely hard, right? We might be able to love God well, But loving people well, that can be difficult because that's what we've been talking about today, isn't it? That fractures in relationships, brokenness because of sin, but we're still called to love. 
we're called to go out and make disciples because this is what Jesus has created us to do, to build the family. It's to bring others in. We are experiencing that community that God has designed. This is a foretaste of heaven here, not the long sermons, but everything else. We get that community that we bring together, and we say we want to bring more people into that, other people, because this is what the world needs. It needs that, that true community, people who love unconditionally, people who love and forgive one another who seek reconciliation. That's countercultural. That's different than what the world says. It's the way in which we live out our calling even amidst a broken world. Because even though we're called into community, we know and we need each other that we have the effects of sin. But we know that's not the final word. Forgiveness and reconciliation are possible because Christ first reconciled himself to us on the cross. Jesus took the first step. He came down. He stepped down from heaven. He willingly took the cross so that we could have that reconciliation. It should go this way. That we can have reconciliation with God. And when we have reconciliation with God, we can have reconciliation with others. The curse of, of the garden is now reversed. We're back to where we belong. Community with God. Community with, with others. And no matter what the enemy might do, how the enemy might try to tear us apart through gossip or slander or lies or COVID or whatever else. We have the promise that, that Paul ends with here. We know that the Lord will rescue us from every evil attack and will bring us safely to his heavenly kingdom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, again, thank you for calling us together and for giving us one another forgiving us one another as, as a gift to uh, love and to serve and to support as partners in life and as partners in ministry. And we pray, Lord, today, especially for those with broken relationships, those who need healing in the relationships, maybe with us a spouse or a parent or a child or a friend, whomever it might be. God, we just pray for reconciliation, that you will soften the hearts of both individuals, that when it's our fault, Lord, that we will seek forgiveness and when others have harmed us, that we will forgive them. We also pray, Lord, for those who are lonely today, those who uh, perhaps are still feeling the effects of COVID, of, of feeling isolated and alone and forgotten and dismissed. Remind them, Lord, of your presence. Remind them that you are always with them. And strengthen us, Lord, as we leave this place today for the good work that you have called us and created us to do, to love you and to love others and to make disciples. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.